surrounding uh, Tigers basketball and recruiting. Uh, talk to us a little bit about the feeling around town and what you guys are thinking. Uh, Barrett or, or uh, James, you can take it. Um, well, the, it's definitely an incredible feeling in the city of Memphis. I mean, everybody's elated. It's a, it's one of the biggest recruiting classes we've had since uh, Josh Passner was here. And so, I mean, the feeling around town is that our team is finally back to where it should be. And even it's almost um, as amazing as even the common fan nowadays are taking notice of what's happening in Memphis because – uh, there's been segments on ESPN and whatnot about is Penny an actual, you know, coach who's going to take Memphis to this level of blue bloods like Kentucky um, and Kansas. So it's amazing uh, that it feels good right now, but it's also amazing that it feels good for to know that the common fan is even taking um, attention to the Memphis basketball program. Yeah, I think one okay. thing that's really big is um, – just the excitement between the, the recruits um, on social media. They're very um, active and very vocal about how excited they are. And many of them, have, I've talked to some of them, and they're, like, ecstatic about what they can do here. And so I think that's one thing that plays into the overall energy of the city is how excited the recruits are. All right, fellas. This is uh, Evan. Uh, Barrett, I, I want to propose my first question to you. So you've done uh, some filming for overtime in the past, am I correct? Yes. Okay, so you're very familiar with DJ Jeffrey's game. Uh, am I correct on that? I filmed James and Malcolm's uh, a lot this year the most. Uh, I did film a couple of DJ's games, but I am familiar with him as well. Okay, so I want to ask you this. Uh, me, myself, uh, I'll just give you an example. Uh, last, about two weeks ago, I was down in uh, Kansas City at the Under Armour uh, live event, and I got to see a lot of the top talent on the Under Armour circuit. And when I look at DJ, uh, he proposed a lot of the intangibles that a lot of those other top-rated players have, uh, especially McDonald's All-Americans. He's got the length. Uh, he's able to step outside, shoot the jump shot. He's able to get to the rim, finish over larger defenders, finish with contact. But he seems to kind of be slept on a little bit in this class, uh, especially with guys like Preston Chichua, who a lot of people think he's going to commit, James Wiseman, now Boogie Ellis. Where do you see DJ Jeffries fitting in this uh, University of Memphis uh, rotation next year? Do you think he could possibly be a starter, six, seven man off the bench? Kind of talk about DJ a little bit. Okay, yeah. Well, I think first um, the thing with DJ is that he was a very highly ranked coming out um, of middle school. So he was top ten player nationally coming out of middle school. And freshman year he stayed that level. Sophomore year he dropped and junior year he dropped. And so I think that um, the, the, not the problem with him, but um, something that helped his game – is that he was very passive and not not really wanting to take on the star of the team role. And so I think whenever this summer when he decommitted from Kentucky, um, some of that grit got instilled in him, some of that um, attitude got instilled in him that made him a better player. I could see a lot different in his approach um, from his senior season and his junior season. And so I think that that will help him a lot coming here because especially with the signings of Precious Achua, um or maybe Trendon Watford that's looking – unlikely, but he's definitely going to have to compete. And so I think that will raise his game up, and I think that his uh, attitude has stepped up his game because there's a, a flip that gets switched on him and in James that um, make them both pretty unstoppable. So I feel like if DJ comes in here with that mindset and uh, works hard on that and tones up his body a little bit, I think he could definitely be a starter on this team. And I think he'll be a contributor. Um, I know he's talked about going one and done, 
if Precious comes, I, I see that very unlikely, but I think he'll be a great role player his first year and maybe his sophomore and junior year um, step into the more star spotlight. Okay, all right. And uh, it seemed like to me kind of when uh, DJ left the UA circuit um, and went to the Nike UIBL circuit, um, it just seemed like to me his ranking kind of dropped a little bit. Um mm-hmm. I, that's kind of what I saw because I followed him for a while, probably like you guys did. And uh, I just think probably with him, he was a guy who probably would have benefited more by probably staying on the Under Armour circuit where he probably could have been the man and having a spotlight on him. But I agree with you. I think the talent is there. Uh, I think he just kind of dropped once he went over there to the EYBL circuit. Uh, I have uh, one more question, though, for James. Uh, a lot of people have been talking about rotations and all of this and how guys will fit in. Will guys be disappointed with playing time? Where do you stand on that? Do you think someone will be disappointed, or do you just think that it'll play play itself out, these guys just going to have to battle in practice? Um, I mean, I think it's going to eventually, eventually play itself out, but I think initially some guys are probably going to be disappointed. But the thing that people have to keep in perspective is, I feel like Boogie Ellis is kind of either a one- or two-year type player, and uh, obviously Tyler Harris and Alex Lomax are going to be guys who are going to stay all four years. So they're going to have to take in perspective, yeah, I might not be playing the role I got last year, but this dude's not going to be here for that long. So by the time my junior and senior year come, I need to be ready to take on that role. And um, once, um, once they do – fight and practice, I think it's going to prove to a lot of people that they're, they're not just going to sit down and lose their minutes. They're going to compete. They're Memphis kids, and that's what Memphis kids are used to, competing and grinding. So I think once they get into practice, they will prove themselves, and they will be on the floor this season. Definitely, definitely, guys. And this is Josh, by the way. And got a question um, to start off with, with Barrett on this one. I'm real interested, you know, you hear a lot about these guys with, with Wiseman and, and, you know, of course, getting a lot of the attention. But I know, uh, Dad, you've seen a lot of uh, Malcolm Dandridge as well, filming and seeing a guy like him. Now, I know he's a guy that's, you know, kind of been put on the back burner to a degree with all these other guys we're excited about. But me personally, I've been pretty excited about seeing what he can do coming in uh, this season as well. And I know he's dealing with an injury. But kind of tell the people – what do you think uh, Tiger fans can expect in Malcolm Dandridge uh, coming in to the Tigers program? Well, Malcolm's very skilled. He's he's kind of overlooked in his skill because of his body. Uh, a lot of people compare him to Joey Dorsey, and I think that that's a good body comparison, but not style of play. Um, Joey Dorsey is much more aggressive, and um, they have similar rebounding games. He's a terrific rebounder, but one of the things that impressed me the most is Malcolm knows who he's playing with very well. And so um, some of his games, um, he has a shooter named D. Merriweather. Um, on games where he was knocking down shots, um, they would put Malcolm at the uh, free throw line and where he could feed James or D or um, create something for his own. And whenever he played against the higher talent, um, against Houston who had more length and Whitehaven that had more length, that's when he really played his best. And so he's he's a great passer. That's he may be like one of the best passers in the class that we get in, um, which is saying a lot, especially with the guards that we're getting. But he's a great passer, and so I think being able to put him down low or around the free throw line or elbow is really going to help this year's team um, because he can create for himself or he can pass out of every every situation. 
Definitely, definitely. That's definitely some good information because I know I think he deserves some props, man, uh, for what he, he's done, you know, playing alongside James Wiseman, playing with Alex Lomax as well, you know, who's going to be his teammate going forward. So you got that familiarity right there. So that's, that's going to be interesting to see how that translates at the college level once he's able to, to get out there and play. But for James, um, let me ask you, uh, we, you talk about a guy like uh, Lester Kionez, right, who, who committed. What, what do you think, um, how important do you feel that was to get him? Because it seemed like, I'm not just saying this is the reason why the others fell in line, but he seemed like the first real domino to fall uh, for the rest of what we got going on right now. How big of a deal do you think that was to to for the Tigers, and what do you think he can bring uh, for James? Um, I mean, I think it was absolutely huge that we got Lester. And like you were saying, after him, it kind of seems like the dominoes started falling. But I think it was also huge in the fact of Penny can recruit guys who aren't just from Memphis because a lot of media outlets were questioning Penny's ability to recruit uh, places that weren't in Memphis. And getting Lester, I mean, that's that's uh, our highest – out-of-state recruit since Karan Iverson, and Karan Iverson was a five-star. He, was, he wasn't played well here, but at Rhode Island, he played a very important role on their tournament teams, and I think Lester's going to be that dude who comes in. He, plays, he starts at shooting guard. I think he will be a starter, and he's going to light up the floor. He's going to be an excellent shooter. And I think his D is also going to be – it may not be the best on the team, obviously, when you have James Wiseman down low, but I think his defense is also going to play a big factor in the Tigers team next year. But I think his – Main role is going to be knock down shots, and that's exactly what he's going to do next year. That's a great point, actually, and, and it kind of flows into my next question. And uh, this is for James, and, and this is Justice. Uh, my question, James, is uh, we talked about Penny being able to recruit not only guys in Memphis, but got uh, you know guards and, and uh, bigs out of town. Two of those players that kind of fall in that category are both being from the area and then out of town are Ray John Tucker and Damian Boss. Uh, can you talk a little bit about those two and what you think uh, they bring to the table, Bob being a four-star point guard and Tucker being a, a former high-level recruit himself who uh, averaged over 20 points a game last year at, at, at Little Rock? Um, I think Ray John is going to surprise people, and I think he's at some point in the season, maybe at the beginning, middle, whenever – I think he is going to be our a starter at either small forward or shooting guard. That's kind of yet to be determined. It depends how Penny wants to play them. But I think he's going to be a starter. I saw him when uh, Arkansas Little Rock played at Memphis this year, and he just found ways to score the ball. And I think that is what the Tigers need because, obviously, they're probably going to be starting for freshmen. He needs to be the senior leader. And that was another thing that people were wondering about this Tiger team was, are we going to have enough leadership? And I think it's going to be his role to step in and become the leader just because he's been there, he's done the things that take – he's done the grind of a college basketball season. And so he's going to have to show these young guys the ropes and basically be the voice of the team. And uh, as for Damian Ball, I think his re- uh, commitment was huge just in the fact that we have another – true point guard who can either be if we need him to be he can be a starter and if we don't need him to be he can be an excellent man to uh put in off the bench and I think also Damien's going to surprise some people because I feel like as y'all were saying Malcolm's one of the slept on guys 
I think Damien's the other slept-on guy. Nobody really pays attention. I mean, we got him, we were happy, but nobody nobody was going crazy like when we got Lester and Boogie. So I think Damien's going to also have a chip on his shoulder, and I think he's going to um, definitely practice hard, and he's going to find his way on the floor. Yeah, that's going to be two points. Um, I was talking to Nick King tonight. They, were, they just got done playing, and I was asking him a couple questions about Damien because Damien was walking out as I was walking in, and, and Nick King said he's going to surprise some people this year. Um, he said he's going to play a lot if he plays defense like he can. He said he's, like, one of the best defensive players. He said he was the best defensive player out there, and he had players like Marco Crawford and Cameron Payne and uh, some good players out there, and he said he's he got some clamps, and he's really good on defense. So I think that will come, come in handy next year especially because um, – no matter how your offense is, your defense can always be good, and he'll be a, a huge asset. Hey, wow. this, this is Evan Justice. If you don't mind me uh, jumping in on, on on the ball topic real quick, I know we're kind of doing a roundtable discussion. Uh, I, I agree with what you just said, man, because I, I've been telling a lot of people, uh, Damian Ball is arguably uh, in his class. He was arguably one of the top five to seven on-ball defenders, especially from what I saw uh, in the country. And that kid can flat out, he can sit down and play defense. And, and that's kind of that team bad mentality for a lot of guys who, who pay attention to local grassroots programs here. Uh, they just sit down and play defense. Of course, you guys know the, the story with, with Team Sizzle on the UA circuit. They basically tapped out because those guys just play so physical. And you're talking about a guy who essentially he he wanted to guard R.J. Hampton last year on the, on the UA circuit. And, he want every time they played somebody, he guarded the best player. So it's it's kind of crazy that you said that because I've been telling people all along, man, Damian Ball, he's gonna shock some people. And uh, I was telling somebody this, I, I can't remember uh, on Twitter this weekend that whenever you have a guy that's six four, who can sit down and play defense and can also get to the rim and finish, uh, there's always gonna be playing time for him, man. I apologize about the just I just want to get that out there. Hey, no, I, I was going to ask the guys were they talking to uh, Nick King or Evan because I, 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 I knew you were going to get excited. Uh, yeah, Evan, I knew he was going to jump one in. Of those guys, yeah. uh, Barrett James, he's been talking about Damian Ball all year. And so uh, it's kind of music to my ears to hear that. Uh, for you two, and I guess I guess this will be for Barrett, um, and then James, you can certainly want to, certainly getting around uh, the country and you know, filming, I know, Barrett, you've been filming, you know, overtime doing some things for off of Memphis, but seeing guys like James Wiseman, Memphis, Trendon Wofford out on the circuit, I know you feel the energy in the building of a recruit come in. Do you think that the, the, the recruiting Hardaway has done at Memphis is the reason for the uh, uptick in going to be playing against uh, Georgia on a neutral site? Uh, Tennessee now with a home-and-home. Also, there's the game against NC State, which will be in Madison Square Garden. Uh, how do you think that recruiting impacts the excitement around the program and, and scheduling? I feel it's super important. Uh, Penny's done a great job, obviously. And um, unfortunately, I haven't been able to go on much circuit because um, I just started filming for them this year. Um, but I have been able to film um, Trenton and Anthony Edwards and James and um, DJ. And so I've been able to film some good people. But whenever. Um, Anthony Edwards came into town. He came to Briarcrest and played. Um, there was a lot of energy in there, a lot of Memphis fans, and even he wasn't really paying attention to Memphis that much at that point. Um, there were some rumors that he may be considering them um, at the end, but just the energy of everything. Mike Miller was there, and everybody was getting pictures, and 
because Penny, whenever Penny walks in, it's a big deal. And so I think especially like you're seeing now, uh, after Penny's been on the job a year, um, just the 2020 guys, I think four of the top ten have Memphis, the top ten players in the 2020 class have Memphis in their top ten or 12. Um, and so I think now you're starting to see a bunch more um, energy and, like, his impact because certain people didn't know. Well, he played in the 90s and none of these kids that he's going to be recruiting were born then. And how's his, you know, how's his legacy going to be translated to this generation? And so, obviously, I think it's been better than anybody thought. And so, um, even James said, like, a third grade, third, fourth grade, he had Penny as a lock screen before he even knew him. And so, I think Penny's legacy is stronger than a lot of people think, and it's finally being shown right now. And it's translating the energy to the recruits and the city. Which kind of to my, my next question before I throw it over to uh... – uh, Josh, and if I'm asking too many guys, but uh, this is for James. Um, why are these recruits in Memphis? Not only in 2019, but there's a list of players in 2020, like Jalen Green and who I know Evan may talk about uh, either later today or on another episode. Are these recruits choosing Memphis? I mean, I, I honestly have always thought you can win at Memphis. I mean, with the history of the program, you can it's obvious to see that you can win at Memphis, but I honestly don't think that that factors into the decisions as much. I think what they're thinking is this staff that Memphis has right now, they know how to get to the NBA level because they've been there. I mean, Penny Hardaway was in the first – all NBA first team made all star games and unfortunately got hurt. But if he didn't get hurt, he could he would probably easily be in the Hall of Fame. So these recruits are seeing. Pin Hardaway's been there. He's done that. He's made the money. He's played in teams. Uh, he's played in the finals. I mean, he's been at the highest level. Recruits see that and they want to get to where he has been, and they believe that Penny can guide ultimately guide them there. And and that's the thing. I mean, these other coaches just simply haven't been there. They're just basing it off of, oh, yeah, I got that guy there. But they haven't been there, been there themselves. They really don't know what it actually takes to get there. But Penny does. And, I mean, just, just the swagger that Penny has is another big thing, too, because kids look into that these days, you know. Older people might not be able to see, like, a kid looking at this coach and being like, wow, he's one, you know, these nice shooters. But Penny's always flashing off his – his wooden shoes or his, you know, and him and his jet. And, and recruits like that because they think Penny Hardaway is a really cool coach. He's an NBA star, and he can get him to the league. So why why would you want to go to one of these coaches who's older, hasn't been there, where you can go to this coach who's young, he's been in the league, and he's proven that he can improve teams. And another thing is, with last year's team, that team had never made the postseason. And Penny was able to bring in some kids with the old roster and make it to the NIT. And when people always ask me, is Penny going to be a good coach? Well, you can see the improvement in one year from not going to a postseason to just making an NIT. And I know it's the NIT, but we haven't made a postseason in the last four years. And so when you combine all that, he can do the X's and O's. He's been at the highest level. That's why kids are coming to Memphis. We'll be right back. Stay tuned for a short commercial break before the next segment of the Deliberation Sports Podcast. All right. I guess this question is for Barrett. Uh, obviously, there's, there's a lot of excitement 
a lot of energy around the Memphis program right now, uh, especially related to recruiting. I'm just going to ask you, what type of impact do you think this is having on not only recruitment but ticket sales and just everything surrounding the Memphis Tigers basketball brand? I think he's doing everything. I think everything that he's doing is positive. I don't. I mean, I know the um, the whole Tom Bowen situation was kind of weird, um, but uh, I told somebody this. I said I don't know of a better time where you can lose an athletic director. <laughs> as weird as that sounds, um, basketball and football teams are both at a great level, and so I think that it's overall great for the city. It's great for ticket sales. It's great for the university. Um, I've seen a lot of stuff on on Twitter about students that aren't even thinking about playing sports here, just uh, how they're going to come here just because it's going to be cool and it's going to be fun and the energy is going to be crazy. So I think in every aspect, it's just been great. Yeah, and, okay. and that, that that's a big impact. Uh, one other thing I had, and, and I guess this is for, for James and, and all for Memphis, you guys do a lot of uh, uh, edits or we see a lot of that happening now where the players will commit or and there'll be a photo out there that gets shared uh, hundreds of times or even thousands. Uh, how does it feel to, to be a part of that, and what, what goes into that? Are you reaching out to players? Are they reaching out to you? Uh, take us through that and just tell us how, to, how that process works. Um, well, it's an amazing feeling, you know, just to be um, – an impact with these uh, kids recruiting. And basically what will happen is usually, you know, it, it varies um, each time. Sometimes recruits will come to us and be like, hey, can you make my top 20 edit and we'll make it for them. Or sometimes we'll be like, hey, if you need an edit or if you need a top 20 edit or whatever, um, we'll send them a message and they'll usually get back to us. And sometimes with, like, some big-time players, you know, you know, it's going to be hard to communicate with them. So sometimes we basically, like with Boogie Ellis, we knew it was going to be difficult. He's not a Memphis kid. You know, he doesn't know probably very many Memphis social media things. So we basically just pre-made him an edit, and whenever he committed, uh, committed, we were able just to send it on Twitter and Instagram and all that. Okay. Yeah, so it's pretty cool, the- too. So, like, with Boogie, um, with Boogie, like, we made his commitment in it. And so um, after that, like, he texted us, and he's wanted us to do more. And so, like, he texted me yesterday and wanted me to do an edit with him and James. And so, um, like, James just posted that, actually, um, the edit that we did um, earlier today, me and this guy named John Fitzgerald with Lead Graphics. He he helped when we collaborated on that. And so Boogie and James posted it. So it really just varies, but it's pretty fun. Um, we've, we've all kind of touched in – um, editing. I do most of the edits, but James and Josh have also done some, and so it is it's pretty fun, especially now that this is getting better. Um, it's a lot harder to contact recruits than it used to be when you're um, messaging five, three stars and compared to five stars now, but it's definitely fun because you feel like you're a part of the announcement, and so it's pretty fun. Fellas, so this, uh, this Evan again, man. I know you guys were um, just on campus, man. Can you kind of just tell me uh, what was the feel uh, in the gymnasium today? Uh, I'm pretty sure you guys caught a couple pickup games. Just, just try to tell me what, what was the atmosphere like in there today. Uh, it was pretty good. Uh, I kind of caught, I caught on them the last little bit, so it wasn't as competitive as it was when it first got it started. But um, yeah, I think the main takeaway: um, Tyler and Alex were in there. Tyler was shooting like crazy. Um, no surprise there. 
Um, Alex was struggling a bit, but his shot looked better. It looked more fluid. And so um, Nick King was on him about making sure to take the shots that he was open. And so I know the people he's playing with are telling him to, to keep shooting, which is good for him, um, being able to, to work through the slump um, with these guys that are pros and playing overseas and bigger and stronger than some of the guys that are in in the league, in not the NBA, but in our league. And so I think that's good with him. But the main takeaway, um, I think, was Damian Ball's defense. Um, everybody was talking about that. Um, people who haven't played with him before were talking about how good he was at defense. And he had a couple threes and had some good finishes. And so he had he had some good finishes against some pro guys down low. Um, it looked really good. So. Yeah, I keep I'm repeating myself again, man. Damian Ball is going to find his way on the court this season, man. Fans, y'all can book that. Uh, but I, I kind of want to switch topics real quick, man. We could do a round. Uh, table. Matter of fact, I, I, if if cool, I like for all all five of us to answer this. Okay. Uh, the Grizzlies got lucky, in my opinion, last night. Uh, we ended up with the number two pick, and last time we had the number two pick, we drafted Hashim Thabit, and that was probably uh, the biggest bust in franchise history. Uh, but uh, I don't think we could go wrong with the two options that we have on the table. Uh, it's between John Morant. And uh, R.J. Barry, uh, I'll start with myself. I'd like for you guys to just tell me which one would you guys prefer. I, myself, I went back and forth. Man, Justice had the conversation with, about it this morning, and we actually broke it down to the T. And uh, Justice made a good point. He said, when you got a franchise player uh, like John Morant will be, uh, his upside is is just the sky's the limit for that kid, uh, and he instantly brings enthusiasm to the city. I think of uh, we got the number two pick, John Morant probably broke Twitter in Memphis because uh, everybody in the news actually came out that the, that the Grizzlies are zeroed in on John Morant. Uh, yeah. I would prefer John Morant, but uh, we could start with James and then go to Barrett and Justice and Josh. Who would you guys prefer, uh, John Morant or R.J. Barrett? Um, I mean, at this point, I think the Grizzlies is totally out to say John Morant. I mean, you know, the media has been pushing towards it. Most of the fans are saying, you know, if we don't get John Morant, we're going to, you know, be mad at the franchise or whatever. So, I mean, I think at this point you'd have to take Morant. So, and the thing is, too, I think he's going to be an amazing player. I think he has all-star potential. I think he could be the cornerstone of this franchise. But what I think he does best is he makes the players around him better. And I think that's going to be so huge for um, Jared Jackson Jr.'s development. Because I also think Jerry can be an all-star player. He can also be another cornerstone of the franchise. And with John Morant making him a better player, I think that's going to be absolutely huge for the Grizzlies in the future. And, I mean, it's just also huge right now for the Grizzlies that two of your best players are 20 years old. I mean, that's that's crazy. And in, in a couple of years, we'll have a bunch of uh, financial flexibility, which will be huge to put pieces around Ja and um, Jaron Jackson Jr. So I definitely think he has to go with Ja just because he can be that superstar player that the Grizzlies have been always looking for. Yeah, I'll go with Morant, too. Um, I think one thing that's important is that the Grizzlies have had – they've kind of played at a slower pace, and I think it would be a good change um, – just for a freak athlete to get to play for the Grizzlies and just show off. I think it's a good stage, and the city obviously supports the Grizzlies and shows up for games. And I think once you're in the forum, it'll get, he, he can get it rocking. And so the Grizzlies have never had a player anywhere close to him, and so I think it'll be a good fit. And like James said, I think there's been so much hype around him right now that you almost um, can't take him. 
I mean, can't like not take him. And so, um, RJ's a great player, but I think at this point you just have to go with Morant. Wow, it's interesting that I, I'm sitting in Los Angeles right now, but I almost feel the same way as these two guys that uh, in the Grizzlies position. Uh, even though you have a veteran Conley who uh, you know is coming off some of the best basketball of his career, I think John Morant has almost become like a household name uh, just through the NCAA tournament and the marketing machine that it is. And uh, he is a freak athlete. He is, uh, you know, one of the guys who, if I'm not mistaken, I think he may have led the nation in scoring and assists. Uh, or if not, he was right up there. He, he just seems to be a great college player. And, and not to take anything away from R.J. Barrett, who if you end up with him, I don't think you're disappointed. But um, maybe we overanalyzed him because we saw him play so much with Zion Williamson and when games did end well at the end, we, we blamed it on R.J. But if, if for my money, I'm taking John Morant. I'm going to tell you, it's, it's a tough decision. This is Josh, by the way. And, you know, to me, I, I can't – I don't want to, you know, sound like I'm just riding the train here, but I, I got to jump on the Morant train as well, man, because whenever you can get a guy that can be a franchise guy, you really just can't turn that down, especially the position that the Grizzlies are in. You have a new front office. You're going to have a new head coach. You're kind of moving out of the grit grind era. The last piece is Mike Conley. You're trying to move past that and trying to build a new identity, a new face. You're trying to figure out who that's going to be and all of that. And I think you need a guy like Ja because he has the personality. He has the game. He's dynamic. He's modern. And I think it's the perfect thing to match up with a guy like Jaron Jackson. I mean, can you imagine the pick and rolls with those two? You know what I'm saying? And just uh, – how much he can make Jaron better. Um, other guys on the floor, you know, you talk about Dylan Brooks or whoever else they end up getting. Um, I wouldn't be surprised the Grizz end up with another lottery pick um, if they end up trading Conley or whatever happens there. So the future's bright, I think, if you draft John Morant, and I think uh, that's the way to go. But I'm going to tell you, I really like Darius Garland, and I think he's going to be big time too. Uh, but I'm going to have to go with John. Well, let me, hit you guys, let me hit you guys with this. Uh, you draft John Morant, you essentially got to get rid of uh, Mike Conley. Uh, and I, I'd like to hear uh, James and Barrett's opinion on this. Do you reach out to the Lakers uh, for that fourth pick to, to kind of ga- gauge their interest uh, for Mike Conley? Uh, they're looking to add pieces, and they actually came out last night and said they're not married to that fourth pick. Uh, do you reach out to a Phoenix, who I believe has the six or seven spot, uh, to see if they could bring a veteran like Mike Conley around those young uh, players like Devin Booker, DeAndre Aiden? Uh, do you reach out to those guys and try to sell Mike on draft night to try to get another top five to seven pick? I mean, I, I definitely think I mean, you obviously have to get rid of Mike Conley, but um, I think you just got to – I know the Grizzlies have leverage, obviously, if they have John Morant because they're not, you know, we can keep Conley. It's really not that big of a deal because we can kind of guide John uh, through mm-hmm. his career. And so you don't have to immediately get rid of Mike. So I think the Grizzlies have the leverage in the situation, but I think they do need to take, you know, these offer where they get um, a first-round pick. I think that's just the biggest thing the Grizzlies need is another first-round pick. And who, whatever team offers you, that pick, you take it. And I hope, I mean, 
obviously the Lakers have kind of had a disorganized franchise, and so I would absolutely love it if we could get that full pick from Mike. Because that, that's, that's an idea that I've been talking about with some people, and I just really hope if we could get that full pick, I think it would be huge for the Grizzlies. Yeah, I like the idea, Evan, of uh, potentially trading the pick. I think it makes sense if, if possible. Uh, or not trading the pick, but trading uh, Mike Conley. Uh, I, think it, I think it's time uh, for to not only give him an opportunity to move on, whether that's to a contender or to a bad team, but for the Grizzlies to really turn the clock on, on the uh, rebuild. And I think trading Mike Conley uh, helps them fast-track that process. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm, and this is Josh here. I, I definitely agree with that, man. It's going to be weird to see Mike Conley on another team, but I definitely – Support moving on from the past and getting this future started uh, this coming season, man. So it's going to be interesting to see how all that plays out in the future. And, uh, and guys, um, kind of to, to switch gears a little bit again, I want to ask the last thing as far as the Tigers are concerned. And I, I got to ask, because it seems like this is a thing that's been talked about quite a bit on social media, when you have all the talent that you have coming in now, and depending on, you know, you're looking at possibly one to two more big-time recruits coming in. So you take all that into account. How do we feel things are going to meld between the existing players and the returning players and the new crop of guys coming in? Because you've seen already amongst Tiger Nation, and maybe it's because people are already anxious or nervous about how things are going to work, uh, you people – People talking about Tyler, whether he'll play or not play, who needs to be in the starting lineup, who doesn't. How do you feel that's going to work out? Both of you guys can answer this question. Um, and do you feel like Penny Hardaway and, and the staff can can handle whatever uh, may come when it comes to the, the rotations and that whole situation? I mean, yeah, I think I, – I, uh, Go ahead, Bert. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I, I, one thing that I like about this class um, – is that they all go together. I feel like Penny could have gotten some like, higher-ranked guys. Um, I think with Boogie, the whole Boogie and RJ situation like that, um, I think Boogie fit better um, here than RJ did. And so I think that the whole class plays really well together. Uh, I think the only really two players that are going to return and play are um, Tyler Harris and Alex Blomax. Um, I think Lance Thomas will play some because just some experience, he's been around the system longer. Um, I don't really see Isaiah Maurice touching the floor a whole lot. Um, but I, one thing I like about this team is that they they all have certain things that they're really good at. And so they all fit well together. And versatility is a big thing now. But I think it's also equally as important for players to be great at one thing. And so with Lester, he's a great shooter. With Boogie, he's a great shooter. With Damian, he's a great defender. With James, he's a great shot blocker. It's just like you have all those pieces that very blend well together. And so I think that's a big deal of just trying to accumulate all the talent that doesn't really fit well, uh, which I feel like that's what Kentucky does, is just try to get the best talent and doesn't worry about how they mesh together or building on each other's strengths and weaknesses. That's what I think has been really good about this class, and I'm not really worried about it. It's finishing one or two. And I, I think that Penny got the guys he wants, and that's what's important and that they all fit well together. Yeah, and just to add on that, I think um, – 
the beautiful thing about this class as well is I think new guys are going to come in and the majority of them are going to get the, the starting minutes at least. Um, and I think this, with Tyler and Lomax, the beautiful thing that's going to work out is I believe in most games with this roster, they're going to blow out most teams anyways, especially in the American Athletic Conference. So Lomax and Tyler are definitely going to be getting a good amount of minutes because we're going to be blowing teams out. And so I think things will all work together. And even if it takes Penny sitting down in one of the two in the offseason and saying, hey, look, I know you may have not played as much as you want and you might want to transfer out and get minutes somewhere else. These guys, like I said earlier, Boogie, he's probably going to be a one- or two-year guy. It's going to be your time, like your junior or senior year, and you're going to be that dude who has to be the star on this team. So if you can just wait one or two years out, it's going to be your team. And so that's what that's just the beautiful thing with having too much talent. Yeah, I feel yeah. on that, man. The, the guys, they just need to get in the gym and go hard, uh, and, yeah. and just and just play all out. Listen to what the coaches say, and uh, you know that stuff will take care of itself. Uh, we've seen guys transfer from schools like the University of Memphis. You know, you can think back to the Jimmy Snap Hunters and players that really had tremendous talent transfer for whatever reason, uh, and then at that next stop, it didn't work out. So I'm tempted to to urge these guys to get in the gym, work hard, and, and uh, let things play itself out. But, Josh, I know you got one more. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So, last thing I'll ask, man, we still got, you know, wondering how things are going to finish. Everybody's almost um, assumed, and we, we already got the jerseys ready, at least the fans do, for Precious and Tua, who hasn't committed yet. But uh, a lot of people feel like that's just a matter of time at this point. But um, who do you guys feel just – straight predictions, who do you feel is next? And who do you feel would be a better fit with what we have uh, currently with the roster if you had to choose between Precious Achua and Trendon Watford? Um, the thing is about Precious, I mean, I know a lot of Tiger fans think it's a done deal, but I'm just not I – mean, I think he's going to this. I'm just not 100% convinced that it's a done deal. And I heard, I think his name is Jalen Wilson, who was a recruit committed to Michigan. And since Michigan lost her coach to Cleveland, he's kind of blindsided. And, you know, he's like, I, I think I might want to transfer out of here. And he's kind of a uh, precious and serious type player. And so if he goes to Kansas, that would be an absolute great sign for Memphis that Precious is coming here. Now, uh, on the question of who would be the better fit, I think Precious fits that bold because I think Precious is just a more athletic player. He's a more, you know, I'm going to dunk on you in the post type player than Trendon is. I think, I think they're both excellent players. I think wherever Trendon goes, he's going to be a star player. And I think wherever Precious goes, he's going to be a star player. But I think with the type of basketball, the up-tempo pace, um, Precious is definitely the dude you want on this basketball team next year. Yeah, I feel like I feel like Precious uh, does complement this team more. Um, Trendon, I would definitely want Trendon more if we didn't have DJ Jeffries. I'll, I'll put it that way. Trendon's definitely um, more skilled, and Precious is definitely more athletic. But I feel like if we have DJ, um, he kind of makes up for if you need to get a bucket, he go to. And so um, I think that Precious, I don't see how we don't get either one of them. I think we'll get one of them. And so um, I think I think Precious will be next to 
Yeah, it's going to be interesting, guys. I, that that question was asked about, you know, who the choice is. Is it Precious? Uh, is it Trendon Wofford? I know we've heard a lot about both of those guys. And uh, I imagine by Monday and as early as Saturday, we'll know uh, the destination of Precious and Chua. And then by next yep. week, we'll know where uh, Trendon Wofford is going. Uh, well, definitely, man, uh, James, uh we, we want to thank you guys, Barrett, for coming on today with us, man. Off of Memphis, you guys got a got an unbelievable brand, and uh, you, you're really hot in the city right now. Oh, thank, thank you for having us. It was yeah, it was a pleasure. And no doubt, and, and and one one thing we definitely want to ask, and uh, since you guys have this unbelievable skill set, is for this podcast, if we can get one of those great edit photos. <laughs> Yeah, man. Oh, for sure. For sure. I, I know Barrett will be on that one. Yeah, I got you. I got you. <laughs> All right, Barrett. Well, we, we know we don't have to throw you any cues. We we know you do this in your sleep, so. <laughs> <laughs> I try. I try. Definitely. Absolutely. Well, well guys, th- thank you for coming on. Uh, Evan, uh, Josh, you got any guys got anything before they close out? Yeah, this, this Evan, man, I just want to – Appreciate you. Tell you guys, we definitely appreciate you guys coming on. Very informative information, man. Uh, kind of a light, and of course, I'm not telling you to run your how to run your brand or anything. But man, with the information you guys have, man, it, I know it's all from Memphis, but you guys, uh, or maybe I'm just not following the closely. You guys should really just single out yourself individually, man. Uh, a little bit more on social media because I I just do the all from Memphis brand, man. Just to be honest with you, and. And you guys, you seem like very cool guys that you could just talk to for, for a few hours about sports, man, and there don't be no arguments, you know, just really cool laid-back guys, man. We'll definitely, definitely love to have you guys back on again, man. Absolutely. Oh, we appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right, all right. So, man, we appreciate all from Memphis, yeah, for coming on with us. And, um, yeah, that's it, man. And, uh, Justin, you got something? No, man, definitely want to thank, uh, you know, Barrett and uh, and James for joining us. Uh, they, they were great, uh, great interviews. Uh, both of those guys uh, definitely have had their ears to the streets. And uh, there's, there's, they say there's at least one or two recruits out there. If you look at James Wiseman's uh, uh, Twitter account, and yeah. um, I think I think that uh, I think that uh, <laughs> we basically have named those players. So whether yep. both end up committing or whether one of them, I, I'm sure we'll know by next week. And, uh, of course, if you listen to episode 28 of the Liberation Sports Podcast, uh, Precious Achua was one of those guys that, that we predicted would uh, sign with the University of Memphis. And uh, I'm not sure we're going to change it at this point, are we? Nah, no, no. Let me let them know that I'm Precious, man. Uh, I know it's between Memphis and Kansas, and I promise you guys, man, I – I've made a million calls on this man, but I I just think that it'll probably be Memphis. Uh, like the, like the fella said, nothing is locked, especially in recruiting. But from all the vibes and wins that I've gotten, I, I think it'll end up being Memphis. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I, I feel the same way, man. And it's once that happens, I think you know, I think it's just safe to say that that's going to be it. That this class will be complete, and then we'll just head into the next phase of the team coming together during the offseason. Yep. Yeah, definitely, definitely, man. So, 
All right, so that's it, man, for this edition of the Deliberation Sports Podcast. A lot of stuff we got you on today, man. Once again, thank you all from Memphis for joining us on this edition. And uh, as we always do, uh, Justice, man, let the people know how they can follow all things deliberation as we go. Hey, to hear the latest on the 2019 and soon to be the 2020 recruiting class, follow us on Twitter at DeliberationSP1. Uh, Facebook, Instagram at Deliberation Sports Podcast. Also, we have the Facebook group Deliberation Sports Community. Uh, in addition, to subscribe, you can do so at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, Anchor Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Pocket Cast, wherever podcasts are hosted, it's likely you'll find us. Just look for Deliberation Sports Podcast. Yes, sir. That's it. That's it, man. So, well, for the Deliberation Sports crew, I am Josh Midget, along with Evan DeVold and Justice Bolden. We appreciate y'all for listening, and we will talk to y'all next time. Hello. Hi, can you hear me now? Yeah, we heard you. Uh, I guess you just can hear us. <laughs> All right, let, let, me try, let me try again. Hold on. Okay. Alright, can y'all hear me now? Yes, sir. Can y'all hear me now? Yep. Yep. Okay. Alright. Yeah, I don't know what was going on. It's all good. Alright. I know Evan used the text earlier. I think that was a couple of days ago about what you what we wanted to go over. Yeah, y'all cool with that? Alright. I was just over the first two Toronto games, no doubt. Mm-hmm. But players been the most impressive. Finals predictions. Mike Finley trade rumors, mock draft, and we got the Tiger freshman. Man, shit. Hell, we might need to hold off on that Tiger coaching search, goddamn it, cuz. Shit. Yeah. I don't know, man. That shit kind of weird right now, man. Yeah? I think it'll play out in the next week. I guarantee you by next Monday they'll have something done. I agree. Matter of fact, I mean, do y'all want to drop the Dante Jones thing or what? I mean, what is that? Well, I mean, not that, you know, we don't know for sure, but I'm just saying that we could say that he's somebody that's been around. Yeah. Well, I mean, that depends on if we even going to talk about the Tigers. Because all this stuff, one, two, three, four. True. The first five is all NBA stuff. That's true, and that's a whole podcast, really. Matter of fact, yeah. So do y'all want to do two or just do one today? And then time to do one for sure. Well, we can just do the NBA. Okay. And then we can always come back and do the Tiger freshman once we get some information on and the culture search and talk about some of these upcoming kids too. Yeah. So maybe like Friday or something. Yeah. Okay. okay. All right. Everybody got their mock drafts pulled up. Yeah, that's what I'm gonna do right now. Y'all know, man. This shit was fucked up. How Mook did the first man did last summer, man. <laughs> <laughs> that that was last week or something. Yeah, that was Shotty, All Star Center from Lawrence. Oh man. Yeah. Wait. Who 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 he dunk on like? Who? Kennedy. 
Nah, hell no, just Cameron Wood Matthews dumped on him. Mikey Elliott put it all in the hospital group. Ah, for real, I ain't even seen it yet. He's on it, Damn. Man, he got voted on like that. <laughs> I need to go find him, John. I ain't even see that. Y'all, y'all, this had a puzzle like, uh, Kenny Chandler, oh, look at his attitude. We don't need that on the team. I'm like, well, y'all are stupid. Man, these folks. Talk about how he walked up on the man. That's what I want. I tell you, when they, when they, when they <laughs> player ain't gonna go to Memphis, boy, they, they just be saying all type of stuff. Hey, who was it that I was talking about Kenny the attitude to? You. No, was yeah, I talking you, to you? you? No, you told me. You said, well, but I was just saying, somebody said, we don't need that type of Hold on. Hold on. Just, what was that, like, uh, two years ago? Yeah. Now you see what I'm talking about. What? Like, when you hear a little... I... <laughs> but I was just saying, ain't it normal when a kid duck on somebody to walk up on them? Not like that, man. <laughs> Not starting now, but, like, if you look at the video... Like, as that kid was walking, he was still walking, like, up on him. Like, that yeah. kid would have... Matter of fact, I was next to Jalen Sanders' dad when that happened. And I told him, I said, hey, man, I'm going to knock that motherfucker out walking up on me like that. Well, yeah, yeah, I feel him, though. I feel him, though. Oh, yeah. I feel him. Yeah, he kept walking with him, too, huh? I mean, but I got a video of Damian Bond doing the same thing. I don't hate it. I don't hate it. <laughs> At all. I can't find the book one yet. It's in the high school group. Yeah, I'm going to try to find that. I need to see that. No, I ain't never seen a video of uh, Bob doing that, but it wouldn't surprise me. I, po- I posted it. Uh, it was in one of them games. It was like, Damian Bob catches a bite. Then Lester Keone did it too. He stood on the nigga. Yeah, but you could stand, uh, niggas stand over niggas, but they don't, when they walking off, keep following them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, that is messed up, I can't lie. You catch yeah, a, a mean, back elbow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Dude, dude, dude would have been in the right to foul. Yeah, I mean, I've already, I've already made every website, I might well go and swing on the motherfucker. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Damn, bro. I, I, I see the video. It's like my camera caught in a real poster-like situation where Mook is just a butter rim, getting ready to slam it. <laughs> Shit, you hear me? You said what? I said he's like a grown man playing with them folks. Yeah. Yeah, physically. Yeah, he's a beast. Is he best? Is he best not going to Memphis though? Oh, uh, no! Nah, he need to come to Memphis with the code. Uh. So is he just a freak, or do he got game? He can score. His jump shot needs to work, but that motherfucking code. Okay. 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 That motherfucking code, bro. Hey, I got y'all mouth drill ready? Yes, yeah, I, mean, I got draft net pulled up. Who's the other site? Draft Express, they ain't active no more. I ain't putting um Nazir Little in my in my uh lottery. Mm-hmm. Cause he a bitch. 
<laughs> yeah, I already know you don't like that, man. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I'm like, that's going to Joe. You ain't going to be able to fairly evaluate if you think about Team Tan. <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I knew, I knew, yeah. It's alright. They say you like six yeah, four. Yeah. So. Push, yeah, he measured out a little bit shorter. Yeah, bitch ass. He ain't even tall. He just got some long arms. He got like yeah. a seven one. Man, I don't, oh man, I don't kind of torn on Jared Carver, bro. Whether you like him or you don't. I mean, I like him, but, like, right, he disappeared to me a little bit in, in the playoffs. He did. That's why I don't like him. In, 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 in the tournament. Yeah. Because that's what I was looking for. You know, for him to step up big. And he just didn't. He just seems like another guy to me. Right. Yeah. He just seemed like a guy that would be a D-League All-Star. You know. Or a G-League All-Star. Yeah. I might be wrong, but I don't think you're wrong. You know. I mean this draft really ain't that great if you think about it. No, but if you get in the top seven you can get some. Yeah, definitely. So I'm hoping the Grizz get two picks. That'll be a, a dream scenario. The only thing I wonder That's what I was saying. I couldn't do the first round. That's why I just said a lottery on my top ten. Y'all yeah. want to do top ten? I mean, it don't matter. We can do top ten, or we can do the the mock draft is just fourteen picks, and it stops at uh Boston. So I mean, if we if we doing top ten and we're not doing eleven through fourteen, that basically means we're not doing Minnesota, Charlotte, Miami, and Boston. That's cool. I ain't worried about that. Fuck them. <laughs> Alright, so we just gonna do a top ten. Yeah, so what uh, so okay. Nah. Okay, top ten, are we gonna just what, pick who we think is gonna go where? Yeah. Okay. Basically. Alright. I mean doing fourteen allows us to get more guys in, but I mean at the same time, I mean man, we could do we could do a couple different ways. Shit, we could just cover the finals and then do a whole separate thing on, on the mock draft. So, I mean, we could do something centered just around John Moran and the Grizzlies. Like, I don't know. We can go a whole bunch let, of let go, let's go ahead and knock it out. Let's go ahead and knock it out. Because I'm, I'm already halfway through. All right. Okay. We can go ahead and knock All right. I'm cool with that. All right. All right. What's she? Uh, let's see. So, all right. So, we're going to do the. Are we, we're going to do the finals, and then we'll get into the mock draft. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. I don't even want to talk about the Conley shit because so, it's so much speculation. Like, yeah, I'd, I rather talk about, I'd rather talk about Conley and John Morant on a separate podcast. Where we Can I tell you about, about Where we just talk about the Grizzlies. Go ahead. If we going to do a podcast, mm-hmm. I think it's almost a necessity every time we bring on something new. Okay. Say less. Look at me. I'm not gonna be wrong. That's a good Say point. Less. That's a good point. Say less. So I guess what we can do is talk about the possibilities or the rumors that are out there with Conley, you know. And then give our opinion on what we think would be the best scenario. Bingo. Yeah. 
Okay. And speculation made the world go round, bro. Absolutely. Yeah, that is true. I mean, a lot of these Bleacher Report trades ain't going to mean, you know what I'm saying? You know how, but this you know shit don't never happen anyway. It never happens. No. Nah, nah. They just putting that shit out there, and it, it don't even be close. Just throwing stuff in the wall. But it gets people talking, you know. So. All right, let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, shit. Hold up. Ten-second countdown. Cool. Nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. And welcome, welcome, welcome to another edition of the Deliberation Sports Podcast. Coming to y'all, wherever you may be, however you may be listening, man, we definitely appreciate y'all for checking us out. Once again, we are back in the building, in the saddle, wherever you want to say, man, with the Deliberation Sports crew. Of course, I am Josh Midget, along with my guys, Evan DeVold and Justice Bolden. A lot of stuff we're going to get to on this edition, so we're just going to get right up into it. And Justice Man, let the people know how they can follow all things Deliberation. They can follow us on Twitter at Deliberation SP1, Instagram and Facebook, Deliberation Sports Podcast. We also have the Facebook group, Deliberation Sports Community. And be sure to subscribe. You can do so via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Anchor Podcasts, as well as Spotify. And then also I think there's Podbean as well as Pocket Cast or anywhere you can find podcasts, it's likely you'll stumble upon the Deliberation Sports Podcast. That's it. That's it. We are everywhere in the, on the Internet, man. So y'all check us out on your favorite podcast provider, and we'll be right there with you wherever you go. So, guys, man, so much has happened uh, since we last talked, uh, especially right now uh, when it comes to the NBA because we are in the finals. Now, um, heading into game three, Wednesday night, uh, there's two games down. Uh, the series is tied one apiece, uh, with them splitting the first two games in Toronto. Of course, uh, you got the Toronto Raptors and the Golden State Warriors. Real interesting matchup in both games, um, with the Warriors winning game two in interesting circumstances because they were down several guys. And they were still able to gut out a win um, under the circumstances. So, guys, how are we feeling about these finals after the first two games? And uh, I'll start with Evan on this one. Man, uh, out the game one, um, I, I just said to myself, I said, hey, Steph Curry went for 30. Uh, Clay went for 20-plus. Draymond had a triple-double. And Toronto basically had the game in pocket all night. Uh, I thought going into game two that it'll be the Raptors in six. Me personally. Uh, after game two, I'm still confident that Toronto will win just because I believe that Toronto shooters can knock down open jump shots, uh, more than not. If you look at game two, they got back in the game uh, towards the end, and they really had an opportunity to win it. But they were missing wide open jump shots. It wasn't anything that uh, Golden State was doing defensively. I mean, they wasn't the storm. Golden State threw a real haymaker up coming out of halftime. And, you know, Toronto, they withstood the hit. Uh, to me, if you look at uh, the last – no, the play before the, the play right before the last play of the game, Steph Curry 
threw a airy pass, really. He just lost it in the air. And to me, I hate to put the blame on Kawhi, but if he would have just gave any kind of effort and stole that ball, he reacted so late. It was just a lazy defensive effort. If he would have gave any effort, and that's kind of weird saying that about Kawhi, but if he would have been have in his defensive stance, ready to roll, he would have got that steal, and that would have been a layup on the other end. That game would have been the overtime. I think Toronto would have won. Uh, to me, Kawhi Leonard has to find a way to get rolled. Um, I haven't seen the Kawhi in the finals like I'm used to with San Antonio. Uh, if they're going to win this series, I think he has to keep going. I think over the next three wins, if they're going to get the four wins and win the series, I think Kawhi has to average 30. I think mm-hmm. Danny Green has to get going with his three-point shot. I think uh Siakam, Gasol, and Ibaka, they got to own the rebound in the Vengeance. Because if you look at it, Golden State don't have a beat. They don't. So I just think you got to play real physical. I think that Toronto still win the series. Clay Thompson, he might play tomorrow, but he's not going to be 100%. Kevin Durant is ruled out. This sets up perfect for Toronto to win game three and steal the first road game. So if I'm Toronto, this is a must win. And I'm going to go ahead and call it. I got Toronto stealing the first road game in Oakland tomorrow. Mm, that's a big statement, man. I think you made a lot of good points. I'm curious what Justice has to say on it. But I'm, I'm just thinking, you know, it, it, it's tough, you know, to see how Golden State can do when they're on a run. It's almost mesmerizing, even for our opposing teams to sit and watch, because they're so good at when they run their offense to perfection. When the guys are hitting their shots, the ball is moving. You know, it's like, man, what what are we going to do? Nothing Toronto was doing was working. You could tell it got in their heads. They were missing shots. I think they were just like I said, mesmerized by what was happening. They couldn't believe it. Uh, even though they did catch their bearings to a certain degree. But you have to wonder, can a loss like that play on your confidence going forward? Because now you're heading in the Oracle, which is not an easy place to play whatsoever. Um, so we'll see what happens game three. But Justice Man, uh, how you feeling? Wow. I'm supposed to uh, disagree with Evan, but uh, I actually <laughs> agree with him that I think uh, Toronto <laughs> is going to uh, win game three. Um, I do think that in game two, however, they got shell shocked in that third, in that third quarter. Everybody in the NBA knows that Golden State, uh, usually is a, is a third quarter team. They can struggle. And if you can look at it, they've had four or five games in the playoffs where they've had double digit deficits and they come back to win those games. And I'm talking about double digit deficits at a halftime. And so, uh, in this particular game, Toronto, if, if you want an NBA championship, you can't go an entire uh, start of the third quarter and not score, you know, and allow Golden State to go on an 18-0 run. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, DeMarcus Cousins, you know, he, he came in and, uh, to be honest, uh, 50% Cousins made a big difference. Uh, as you saw, Gasol didn't get off, and then Draymond Green and, and Golden State did some things to slow down Siakam. Um, but I think that, as Evan talked about, that, that last few minutes, Golden State doesn't score for the final four and a half, five minutes before they get that Iguodala three. If you're Toronto, you've got to get 
to the basket or get to the mid range area. All, all it seemed like they were searching for is threes. And, uh, you know, they shot 11 for 38. You know, that, that was one of the differences in the game. You look at it, Golden State was 13 to 34, 38%, you know, not bad. But when you, Toronto shoots 11 for 38, I think a lot of those shots down the stretch could have been shots going towards the basket. And, uh, so, you know, I would have liked to see better shot selection down the road, down the uh, stretch, but Kyle Lowry, I think he's got to play better. Marcus Saul, if, if he's not going to play well, and, and this is a game of matchups, so it's like game one, he plays well, 20 points, but he comes back, he only gives you six. And game two, I, I'm not so sure if they don't need to go with more Baca in, in this next game. Uh, Fred Van Fleet, he did what he had to do. But overall, I mean, Toronto was right there at home, and so they've given the home court advantage to Golden State. Now they're going to have to go back and steal it, and I think whoever wins game three is going to win the series. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. And I'm gonna tell you something with Marcus Saul and, and people, you know, following the Grizzlies like we all have. I mean, it's really not a surprise when you see Mark be inconsistent, right? You see him out there balling out. Like game one, he was the man. They literally set him up. He was down low. He was banging. He was hitting fadeaways. He was passing. He was doing bit like an all star. And game two, he just disappeared. And I'm going to tell you why, big reason why. It's because DeMarcus Cousins popped him up. Because Cousins played game one, but they only played eight minutes. Game two, Cousins came out there blocking a shot, you know, making his presence felt, you know, being a dog out there. And, you know, I just, I don't know if Mark in this stage of his career can handle that. You know, I think there was a time where he could go head up with guys like that. But, you know, if Cousins... Well, I know he's not 100% right now, but, you know, I think he, this is his first finals, and I think he's going balls to the wall, so to speak. So I think that's going to be a big factor in, in Mark's uh, ineffectiveness. And they need Mark to be effective. So how, how do y'all feel about Mark Gasol's, uh, or really the supporting cast of the Raptors, how important is that going to be for Kawhi to get some help? Uh, I'll take that first. To me, I think Mark can dominate uh, Golden State. He has to be able to use his agility and his height advantage over Boogie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Boogie is still just coming fresh off an of injury. You got to make him test that injury. Show me that you're fully healed. We got to bang. I got to step outside and make a contestant's three. I got to be able to take you off the dribble, do that little running hook in the middle of the line Mark likes to do. I got to go at Boogie. I got to, excuse my language, talk shit to him. I got to get him out the game. I got to make him take bad shots. Him and Draymond, they're, they're high heads. You you piss them off, they're out the game, period. They're going to take bad shots. They're going to take threes. They're going to be out of control, going to the line. They're going to cuss the coach out. They're going to get texts. They're going to be mad at the teammates. You got to you gotta hit on all those weaknesses of those guys. Draymond and DeMarcus Cousins, they're really one of the same. So I think Mark and Siakam and Ibaka, they have to be, I hate that. Well, I don't hate to say it. They got to take it back to the 90s. They got to be dirty. They got to pump Draymond and Cuz because those guys, they aren't tough guys. They all talk, period. So, I mean, I can remember we played the Marcus Cousins. Uh, we was in high school playing at Lamorne on gym. He just swings and throw a bow. Bust my teammate, mouth wide open. All of us run up on him. He trending back. He didn't want to fight. So I, 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 I know that, you know, these guys are tough guys. You just got to be able to be having the nuts to go at them. 
Yeah. So to me, Mark is going to be a huge part of it. But to me, like I said, those three, Siakam, Mark, and uh, Ibaka, you got to play hard, man, especially in Golden State tomorrow. Definitely, definitely. Justice, you got anything to say on that? Well, if you, if you look at it, first first game, the Saul Siakam, I think they combined for 52 points. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mark had 20. Uh, Pascal Siakam a career, uh, playoff high 32 points. And then you come back in that second game, they combine for 18. I think it'll be somewhere in the middle in this game three where you're going to see hopefully the reemergence of those two, especially Siakam. Um, I think he's, he's got to get out and transition. If you, if you notice, Golden State placed a big emphasis on stopping the ball in transition and Toronto had to work much harder for those 104 points they got as opposed to, uh, I think the, I, w- I want to say they scored 118 in that game one. Yeah. So, um, they're going to have to make sure they can get some transition points, uh, because Siakam really thrives in the open floor where he can use his athleticism and his quickness. If you notice, they kind of, Golden State walled him off. They forced him to make outside shots. He wasn't able to make them in that game. Shot five of 18. So, I mean, they're going to need those guys to, uh, to bring it, bring it up a notch. And I think they have to be tougher. Uh, Evan's right. They're going to have to, they're going to have to keep it straight. Um, we've seen Golden State struggle with inside play from guys like a uh, Marcus Gasol or Zach Randolph in playoffs past, and they're even more thin now than they've ever been. And you think about it, Andrew Bogut came off the bench. I mean, he's walking dead, yeah. and he had six points off of three live plays. Marcus Gasol, he played uh, 31 minutes and could only give you six points. That can't happen in the NBA Finals. Um, you know, Fred Van Fleet, he's leaving it out there. But the, Toronto's going to have to get more from those guys uh, if they plan on winning. Because Golden State, believe it or not, their bench is, uh, you know, has been solid. Uh, Quinn Cook, you know, he came out and got nine points. You know, they got uh, some some big buckets from Sean Livingston. And then, of course, Iguodala, yeah, he's like the almost like the engine that stirs the drink. He may not have but six points or five points as he had towards the down the stretch, but he's still capable of making big shots. And, and he made arguably the biggest shot in the series because if Toronto goes up 2-0, um, I think we're already talking about Toronto winning this series, but instead 1-1, now they really got a battle. So this game three is going to be crazy, crazy. Uh, 6 p.m. Pacific, 4 Central, to, uh, or 8 Central on 8, uh, ESPN. Definitely, definitely, man. And I, I gotta say, I, I look at, um, it, it's really gonna be interesting when it comes to legacy for the Warriors in this series to me. And especially a guy like Steph Curry. Cause right now, with the injuries that they have with Iguodala playing on one leg, you know, you got Cousins coming back early from an injury. You know, Clay Thompson, you know, with that injury he has, Kevin Durant's out. Kevon Looney, who's been a big role player, is out for the series. I mean, just so much going on. As a lot is going to be put on Curry's shoulders. Um, do you guys feel like this is kind of a defining moment for his legacy? And can he do it? Do you feel like he can do it, um, you know, on this uh, in this type of situation? Well, to, to me, you got to you got to. You gotta make it his defining moment. Yeah. You, as Toronto, you gotta do whatever you can do to frustrate him to, you gotta be physical with Steph. Yeah. That's, that's number one. Now, one reason why Tony Allen was always successful against Golden State, 
because he made them uncomfortable. Shooters, you got to keep your hand in their shooting pocket. Uh, you got to pick up at least two fouls intentionally by basically beating their ass off the picks. Yeah. You got to trip them. You got to throw them in their stomach. Uh, you you got to tell them, hey, hey, you should want attention. Shit, let me go give us some attention real quick. <laughs> you got to do anything in your power. No, nothing's off limits on the court. Oh, yeah. Nothing. Like when Melo was busting the Celtics ass with KG, yep. he had to go tell Melo, hey, your wife tastes like Honey Nut Cheerios. I'm sorry, excuse my language fans, but it pissed Melo off to the point where he was ready to go see him at the bus, but guess who won the game? Mm-hmm. So you you got to be able to do that. You you got to define his legacy if you want to be honest with you. You got to tell him, hey, you lose this series, and KD was out the majority of the series, if not the whole series, because nobody knows when he's coming back. Yeah. Uh you got to say this. The only time you won the NBA Finals is when Kyrie and Kevin Love was hurt with the Cavs. Mm-hmm. Not only that, you weren't the best player in that damn Finals. Mm-hmm. You weren't. LeBron killed y'all by himself. He averaged 30. And he took y'all six games with his next best player being freaking Kyle Corp. Mm-hmm. So if you're, if, you got to be able to get a step ahead. I don't think... Steph Curry is as elite as people think he is. I think he is a product of being in a soft-ass league now and that they don't allow physicality. I don't think Steph can do what Steph does. Let's just be honest. Can we honestly say Steph shoots better than Reggie? Can we honestly say Steph shoots better than Ray? Can we honestly say that? Without Without a shadow of a doubt. Can we honestly say that? The only difference is Reggie and Ray were getting held. They were getting smacked. They were getting ass knocked off off of picks. Yeah. Steph is able to just run around like a – you grab them, you're going to get a foul. They do that weak-ass swing under the arm shit, and they, they throw their body up in there, and they're going to get three shots to KD is master. It's just a different time. I, I'll make it his defining moment as a loser from Toronto. I'm doing whatever I got to do to get him out of the game. Mm. No, it's interesting, man. Evan, um, uh, Justice, you feel the same way? Well, I do think that, uh, Steph Curry is elite. I think Steph Curry is great, but at the same time, uh, you guys got a, or Evan's got a good point in regards to, um, the league and how it's changed. I mean, let's, let's face it. There are guys able to get away with things that you just couldn't do back in the day. And so, um, Steph Curry is still great. It's, it's hard for me to say that he isn't great or he isn't elite. But at the same time, the league is different. Uh, guys are able to get away with things. Like you said, the, the KD ripped through. Um, and you can't hand check anymore. So you can't bump Steph Curry and, and create that physicality and impact your will on the game from a physical standpoint. So uh, it makes it much harder to defend a guy like that. Uh, and we've seen the product of it. But Steph Curry, I feel, still think when, it, when you break it down in terms of just pure shooter and where he can shoot the ball from and what he's done throughout his career, I think he's done enough to, to warrant uh, the type of accolades he's getting. Um, but would he have gone head up with a with an Isaiah Thomas and been able to do what he does what he does to these guys today? I don't know. 
but he's done it and, it, and it's hard to take away from what he's done. But at the same time, Golden State was able to uh, build a system through the draft, because I'll say pre-KD, to where uh, he's been able to be dominant for, oh, yeah. let's just say, post-Derrick Rose. Because let's remember now, when Derrick Rose was healthy, these guys were drafted the same year, and I, I believe West, matter of fact, Westbrook, uh, Derrick Rose, KD. I mean, uh, uh, Westbrook, Derrick Rose, and, uh, Steph Curry. Yes, yeah. All point guards. Mm-hmm. Derrick Rose was the MVP in 2011. Uh, he was ahead of these guys. He gets hurt, and then because of that, these guys kind of walk him down, but when Derrick Rose was in his prime, at his peak, he was better than Steph Curry and Russell Westbrook. So I think they've been beneficiaries of him not remaining healthy because, let's just face it, if Derrick Rose is healthy in his prime, he's got just as much game, if not more, than Steph Curry and Russell Westbrook. You know what? I'm going to say this. I think Steph gets disrespected because he looks like a kid. You know what I'm saying? He's, He's light bright, you know what I mean, and he looks like a kid. You know what I mean? And I think all, all that works against him, but I'll, I have respect for Steph. I think he's a better shooter than Reggie. I think he's a better shooter than Ray. That's high accolades to me. I know there's different eras, but just my opinion, I don't think – they were great, but I don't think they could touch Steph. I think he's that much. Hey, hey Josh, did you, did you really watch Reggie in his prime? I mean, I, I, okay, I saw him, you know what I'm saying? But I'm a Knicks fan, so I can tell you. I know you're a Knicks fan, yeah, yeah. I know he killed y'all multiple times, you know. I know what he said to Spike Lee. So I, I know, I understand your feelings, but I think that could be biasing your thoughts, you know. Well, I'm, I'm going to say this. I think a lot of us become prisoners of the moment, also. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because I get that. He's not the first guy. Now I do think it's the best shooting backcourt ever. I can't tell you that. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 to me, I think Clay's a better shooter than that. Honestly, I feel like that. Yeah. Me, me personally, I don't think he's the best shooter on his team. I think he's the most clutch. Well, he's got to be off the dribble. I mean, I, I think when you look at Clay, Clay and Reggie Miller were similar type well, of shooters. Yeah, they're similar. Off of screens. We're not, you, you, you add a dimension to the conversation. We're actually, we're talking about shooters. Yeah, yeah. Just shooters. I mean, but Steph has to be better than both because, or all three, because he's the only guy that could create his own shot and get a shot off and do, do it off a screen. That's, That's the difference. I mean, he used to run that around. Make you a better shooter. I don't know about that. I, mean, I think it does. Because it's you know, difficult. Put it like this right here. There's more ways that Steph Curry can go get his shot. Like that shot in the playoffs. That doesn't make you a all-around score. It doesn't well, make you I'm just, you I'm just talking about just deep shooting. You know, you remember when they were playing uh, Oklahoma City and he, he shot that ball from like yes. beyond half court. When he killed I mean, them. That, that, yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. that, that's just, just did that. Man, well, Jamie Lillard did do that, but he has he done it as much consistently over no. the years. No. As a matter of fact, uh, I mean, he just got barbecued. You know, Jamie Lillard didn't even show up again. No, I'm not comparing Jamie Lillard to Steph. No, I'm not doing that. But yeah. I'm saying that to me, and this is just me personally. I could be wrong. The rest of the world could disagree with me. Hell, put a poll up. I don't care. I think what you guys saying is off the dribble, most acrobatic shots, I think he's just a better scorer. Mm-hmm. Shooting me is who has the purest jump shot, whether it's set, whether it's off picks, whether it's this or that. Like, to me, arguably, 
the best shooter off of screens ever is Reggie Miller, Rip Hamilton. But I'm not saying Rip Hamilton is one of the greatest shooters of all time. Yeah, like yeah. Rip mm-hmm. Hamilton was automatic off of screens. That's just what he did. But I think that Reggie was just a better shooter. Hell, I think Clay is a better shooter than Steph because I've seen Steph go cold. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so the one thing Steph Curry can do that most of these guys can't, Steph Curry could put it on the deck and get into the middle game and make shots. Like he, he doesn't even miss these bank shots. He shoots these one hand floaters. Nah, he, doesn't, he doesn't miss. Yeah. Let me ask you this: Since we hit uh-huh. the deck, is Steph a better shooter than Jordan? Then? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, I, think so. oh, oh, oh. I mean, because because when Michael Jordan knocked down seven shots, seven threes in a game, he put his hands up like, "Hey, that was an anomaly for him." Uh, now you know, percentage wise, now in the mid range, you know, I'm taking Jordan. Yeah, Jordan. Just all overall, as a shooter, I'm. So you're saying that Steph is the better three point shooter? I, I think he's just a better shooter overall because I'm combining both mid range and uh, behind the three point line. I feel like I've never seen Steph shoot a mid-range. What's that? He's been Larry Bird, too? Whew. <laughs> mm, that's tough. Hey. Now, look, look, look. I, I, if you, if you want to really put me on a gun, I don't think any of these guys are better shooters than Larry Bird because Larry Bird can hit threes behind the backboard. He, matter of fact, he played a game with his left hand and he hit almost fifty. Yeah, he did. So it's like, yeah, I, I don't know, I, nobody. I don't think there's anybody you can say is a better shooter than Larry Bird, and then he did it in a three point contest. So, exactly. I mean, yeah. he was able to win. He he won a three point contest with his jacket on. Mm-hmm. So, no, I, I can't say. Look, Steph Curry is probably one of the greatest shooters ever, but he's not a better shooter than Larry Bird. Not in my mind. I'm not knocking that. I just, you know, a lot of people, and I know we got to move on, either they don't know the history or they're prisoners of the moment. I've heard too much that he's the best shooter of all time. I disagree. I get that. I get that. And I do think a lot of times with a lot of players, you become prisoners of the moment. You know what I'm saying? If you get. Or some people just like you said are not historians of the game and haven't seen Larry or, or Reggie or Ray Allen or guys like that, you know. And that's why I think it's easier just to say a guy is one of the best, you yeah. know. And then that just puts you in the conversation because we could be debating all day about who's better between Ray Bird, uh, Reggie Miller, Ray Allen, Clay Thompson, and Steph Curry. I'm safe to say that's probably your top five, but in terms of who was the best. That that that's we could debate that all day. Yeah, because there's so many semantics. Like you talk about with Clay Thompson, I think Clay Thompson's set shot is is beautiful. Like it seems like no matter where he is, he's able to get his mechanics in the same motion consistently. I think that's. What I, I'll, I'll pose this question at you. Yeah. I'll pose this question, guys. If you got a championship on the line and you could take one of those five guys, Larry Bird, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson. Uh, who was the other two? Game winning shot. Ray Allen. Ray Allen, yeah. And Reggie Miller. Who you, who you going with? I don't want that one of the ass. I want Robert Ory. <laughs> man. Hey, I, man, I, I still see Rob, man. He plays in the league. Yeah, he, uh, man, but I'm, ta- I'm taking Larry Bird. If I got a game on the line shot, I'm taking Larry Bird. You know, it's between him and Reggie Miller. To me, him and Reggie Miller. Yeah, I'm saying. Reggie Miller was clutch now. 
yeah, but the Nick and me have to go Larry. But <laughs> if I do have to keep them, I go Robert Orr. I'm, I'm dead ass serious on that. I get that. And see, Larry, and see, Reggie Miller played more like a Steph or a Clay coming off those screens and things. Remember, he was the one that was drawing those fouls where he was the, one of the only players that would kick his legs out and draw those fouls. Yeah, exactly. A lot of the things that he got away with back then, we complain about widespread players getting away with now, but Reggie Miller was doing it back then. Mm-hmm. Well, well, you know. he wasn't getting as many calls either, though. Like, I can remember him getting up pounding a lot. Oh, yeah. He wouldn't give me a lot of those calls. Like right now, I don't. I think just as, and again, I know we got to move, but I don't think if it was done at such a high volume, if it wasn't done at such a high volume, I'm sorry, we would be so pissed off about it. Guys were getting their head knocked off. You've seen the, the old videos on Twitter, the clips of just Larry Bird and Jordan basically trying to see who's going to have to use their life insurance policy first. They were just killing each other. Exactly. Like, I mean, I think if it was like the stuff James Harden do and Kevin Durant, like, that's really punk shit. Well, well, they would just catch a catch a four-piece. I remember when Robert Parrish hit uh, Bill Lambert in the face like four times in the paint. Like, yeah. hit him with a one, two, three, four, just a pop, pop, pop. I mean that that part you don't you don't you rarely see guys even connect with a punch. Or uh, matter of fact, Larry Bird was being held by one of his teammates, and Dr. J was swinging away at him. It's just a much different game. By the time we got to the '90s, players weren't even really connecting with, with punches. You know, you go back and look at those Charles Oakley fights. Justice. Ask Jeff Van Gunner with somebody getting hit. <laughs> yeah, but I'm just saying the way Kermit Washington got knocked out in the seventh. Or the way uh, Kurt Rambis, oh, you know, guys yeah. getting knocked. Like, the, the the level of fighting, it went down the further we got along. You remember when uh, Lazo Morning, man, he never landed a punch in any fight he ever fought. Neither did Shaq, to be honest. I mean, Melo hit somebody, but he ran. Yeah, he ran. Yeah, he ran from, from, saying, like, he ran from <laughs> Lil' Nate. <laughs> he ran from Nate Robinson. Come on, man. I knew, I knew yeah, the seventies and the eighties really, they were fighting, you know. They were fighting. The nineties was tough, you know. I remember that Antonio Davis and uh, Brendan Haywood. I remember that one, but you know, Brendan Haywood, he he didn't want it. You know, he took off. Now hold, hold on, just a mic. In in the two thousand though, you might be missing the biggest NBA fight ever. Oh, the Malice in the Palace. The Malice in the Palace. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, but, I, I'll go back to that one. Ron Artest did not want it with Ben's, Ben uh, Ben Wallace. Because Ben Wallace pushed him. He walked away and laid on the table. Now, yeah, you go hit a fan, but nobody touched Ben Wallace. No, no punches were exchanged between players. I mean, look at Ben Wallace. Look at Punches were landed. Yeah, that's all I'm saying. Look, Ron Artest punched a fat dude that came on the court. I don't know if you get that. hit that man one, two. You know, dude squared up on him and, and knocked him out. But I don't remember him punching anybody on the other team. You know, what a lot of people don't understand is if it weren't for uh, World Wide West, who knows what would have happened that night. He was the one who come and run our chest down. Yeah, because he was crazy. That's true. You know, so. Man, that game, I, know, I don't know how we got into that, but that game had so many crazy people. Let's take it Steven Jackson. Yeah. Who has he gotten into a fight with since then? Who did he get into a fight with after that where he co- he connected with a punch? Well, I mean, he threatened folks. So I don't think he ever 
I'm trying to think, you know? And I was a fan he connected with, so, hey, I don't know. <laughs> they didn't want it with the Pistons, Rasheed and Ben. You know what I'm saying? Ben with the big fro and the no, hitman. No. I, I, I don't think anybody wants to fight Ben Wallace right now. <laughs> He's one of those guys. Most guys going to go get a weapon. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, man, definitely. So, uh, man, we done went down memory lane on this one. Uh, on this conversation, man, but good yeah, stuff. But, I mean, it, it all goes back to Toronto. Are you willing to, to increase the level of physicality against the Golden State Warriors? Exactly. Uh, I mean, they're, 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 this is the first time that they've suffered the injuries that a lot of other teams have faced, like, uh, Cleveland in that finals with Kyrie Irving mm-hmm. and, and, uh, Kevin Love. And so now, uh, they're like a wounded duck, but they're still managing to, to figure out ways to win. And, uh, Toronto, they, they're healthy, so you, you gotta, this is your one chance to take out the Golden State Warriors. Definitely, definitely. We'll see what happens tomorrow or Wednesday night is the big game in, uh, in Oracle Arena, so we'll see what happens in that game. So I'm definitely looking forward to that, uh, going forward, man. So we'll see. But, um, anything else on the finals, guys, so we move on. Predictions. I got, uh, Toronto winning. Who you got, Justin? I'm, I'm gonna go with uh Toronto. I gotta stick with my gut on this one. As as badly as I may want to move over to Golden State, I'm I'm gonna stick with Toronto, and I'm gonna go with them in six. How many games you got them winning, Evan? I guess it gotta be six. If it's game six, no, I got them winning in seven. No, okay, okay. Uh, so you got them too. Okay. Yeah, I, actually, the more I, I, I forgot that they had the home court advantage. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'll still go to Toronto in six means that they would have to finish them off in Golden State. Whew, that's a tough That's one. tough, yeah. Uh, mm. That's tough. I'm going to stick with it, Toronto in six. Yeah, I'm going to say Toronto in seven. hate to agree, but I know I'm not picking a team with KD on it. You know what I mean? I can't do that, so. I'm, uh, <laughs> yeah, Toronto gets as tight as they did in uh, game two, man. They're they uh, going to be in trouble in game seven. But you, but, you, but you know what, though? I think that's a learning experience. I actually think that was a good loss. Yeah. But, yeah. Because what it showed me, they took that punch and they bounced back. Uh, you can bounce back from them. You, you can. Yeah, definitely. So we'll see what happens Wednesday night, game three in Oracle Arena. So big, big matchup. Now, to some other things that are going on, uh, kind of to the Memphis side of things, there's been a lot of, a lot of talk, a lot of rumors about, uh, Mike Conley. Really just a lot of talk about the draft in general. I feel like that's been more talk than Mike Conley because a lot of people are excited about the possibility of John Morant, uh, being selected number two overall by the Grizzlies, pairing with Jared Jackson. And then, as an aside, what's going to happen with Mike Conley uh, with the trade possibilities that are out there? What do you guys feel should happen in that scenario? Um, whoever wants to take it first. Well, I'll say this. I think that the Grizzlies are past time needing to trade Mike Conley. Um, I think they need to be active in trying to get back a draft pick. Uh, because at the end of the day, they're either going to lose a, a, a first, a high lottery pick next year or the following year. You know, if they get seven or, or later next year, then they'll keep that pick. But the following year, that pick is going to Boston. So I think they got to be aggressive about trying to land 
uh, a high lottery pick if possible. And, you know, I don't know at this stage if Mike Conley uh, can command that. I know there's one trade scenario that's floating around uh, with Phoenix Suns looking for a veteran point guard. Well, the question becomes, is Mike Conley a veteran point guard or is he an old point guard? Because there's other guys on that list like Spencer Dinwiddie or um, – I'm trying to think who else I saw on that on that one, but uh, I mean those guys are, are Reggie Jackson. They're considered veterans, but then they're younger veterans. Mike Conley, you know, he's 32 years old. So uh, I'm just not sure that a team is going to be willing to give up a high lottery pick for a guy that's that's deep in his career with 60 million dollars left on the deal. But uh, I definitely think that the Grizzlies need to go that route of trading him, and then I think they need to go ahead and select John Moran. I think that's going to be the best best case scenario for them. You know, it's interesting, and I'm really kind of surprised to still see some people, and maybe it's just to find something to talk about, but still seeing some people talk about R.J. Barrett as a possibility. And I'm not knocking R.J. Barrett. I think he's going to be good. But I just don't feel like that's the, even a even a thought as far as the Grizzlies. It seems like he doesn't want to be here. Um, so as long, as long as they're sure about John Moran's knee, you know, he had his knee scoped and there were some loose bodies in there that he took out. That's supposedly a routine procedure that some other players have done and gone on to have successful careers. But if there's any doubt about that, then they probably still need to do their due diligence and bring in RJ Barrett just in case because you don't want any funny business. Same thing. Uh, they need to get all the records and all the details on John Moran and his medical issue. Interesting. Uh, what you think, Evan? I would trade Mike. Uh, I would try my best to trade him to a potential contender. Uh, but I wouldn't lose my sleep over it. I have to get the best assets, uh, as I possibly can. And to me, that Phoenix deal, uh, the pro- it, it seems like it's a little bit of traction to that room as well. Um, to me, with that six pick, uh, I would go get Cam Reddish to me. Um, number one, if I'm either the Lakers or Cleveland, I don't let him fall to six. I just think Cam Reddish would be a pure score for, for the Grizzlies. And you put Ja, Cam, and, and, uh, JJ, Jaren Jackson, uh, that's a good young nucleus, man. Uh, but to me, uh, to get back to the question, I think you should trade him. I don't think you should let him enter the season uh, as a Grizzly. I think you should just bring John Moran in off the muscle starting. Let him take his bumps and bruises. That's how these guys learn. And just, you know, he's at the hardest position and the most important position in basketball, the point guard position. Let him come in and and just learn by error. Uh, having Mike Cully around, which he's going to advance the start, is not to me. It's going to do nothing but hold him back. Put him in that fire, let him learn, trade Mike, try to get him to a contender. Uh, maybe a Boston. I saw that out there a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we're going there, we're coming back, or maybe a Indiana. Uh, those two teams will definitely be representing the East again in the playoffs. But if not, um, if, uh, if a team with a good draft pick try to get you, uh, give you a good draft pick for Mike Conley, you have to take it. Interesting. And see, that's what I was going to ask, um, about that point. Because you look at Phoenix as one of the one of the teams, it's definitely not ideal for Mike. But how much should we even worry about that uh, when it comes to you know this is a new front office and you're trying to make your team better, you're trying to get younger, you're trying to move forward. 
how much should they take into account what Mike wants to do uh, compared to the if it comes against the franchise and what they need to get back. Justice, uh, what, what do you think? Mike Conley has given a lot to the Grizzlies franchise. But at the same time, the Grizzlies franchise has given a lot to Mike Conley in terms of career earnings. Bingo. You gave him a $150 million max deal after he signed a deal previously, and then he had his rookie contract. So, I mean, overall, Mike Conley has made in salary probably more than 90 to 95% of the players who have ever played in the game. So and when you ask yourself, what is the Grizzlies giving Mike Conley, I would say it's quite substantial amount of money. Uh, and, you know, well, conversely, he's rewarded the Grizzlies in, in Memphis to an extent with just being a professional overall, showing young kids coming up how to, to play the game. And, and you know, he, he, he's, a, he's a model citizen on the court and, and off the court. You know, he, he's always up there with the community assist awards. But I think the Grizzlies have given enough to him. This is about the Grizzlies now. This is no longer about Mike Conley and his farewell. You know, I, I know that with Mark, the you can see the Grizzlies Twitter page and things, you know, they're saying, hey, Mark, we're with you all a step of the way. I don't know if that's going to be the same if Mike Conley is traded, that they're going to be doing the same thing. Hey, Mike, we're with you all the way as he's in the playoffs, you know, if he's playing with the New Orleans Pelican. So, um, you know, I, I think <laughs> I think they've done enough. They need to they need to get the best deal possible for their team to be successful moving forward. And if that means Mike Conley has to go to a bottom feeder, so be it. But I suspect he's going to end up with a better team because I can't imagine that uh, a team that's picking in the high lottery would be in a position to where they're going to want to take on Mike Conley and potentially stunt the growth of younger guards that they may have around. Yeah, the only team I can see doing that is Phoenix because they just don't make sense. Um, so <laughs> you, you never know because that's, that's the only one of the team that's, that's been out there doing that. Now, I'm looking here, uh, according to Bleacher Report, um, that the Milwaukee Bucks have also um, identified Mike Conley as a potential trade target as well to try to improve that uh, point guard spot for them. I don't know about it, but Giannis. Hell, if they can't give us Giannis, throw that shit back at them. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want no Eric Bledsoe, man? Uh, not like that. I'm all right. <laughs> <laughs> Be real, man. I ain't mad at it, really. But uh, let's get to the... Let's see. But, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. But all I know is I'm excited about Ja. Um, it seems like, you know, it's almost officially... Unofficially official, I guess you could say. Uh, with, you know, he's kind of been teasing it as well. Him and Jared seem to be getting along already, so we'll see what happens, man. But trial by fire, um, seems like that needs to be the route, and I would agree with that. It's not like, you know, I feel like, I don't think John's a guy that desperately needs a vet like Mike Conley around to function. I think he could do just fine. On his own, depending on who the Grizzlies bring in as head coach, which is still very yeah, much I can give you a couple reasons. Yeah, Josh, I can give you a couple reasons why they don't need Conley around. First off, if if you know anything about Memphis, when Memphis lands like a superstar, a big time recruit, the city just goes crazy. That's what the city lives off of is big time players. You know, whether it was Penny Hardaway when he landed at Memphis State 
or, uh, you know, when Zach Randolph, when he moved over and became an all-star, you know, with the Grizzlies, uh, uh, Derrick Rose, when he arrived on campus, now it's James Wiseman, the city of Memphis as a whole, whether it's NBA basketball or college basketball, tends to gravitate towards superstars. There's a chance, a possibility that John Morant could be just that. He comes in almost like a superstar, all-star phenom. Uh, he's a freak athlete, jumps out the gym, uh, you know, exceptional passer, great scorer. So he brings all those things to the table. When you draft John Morant, it, it infuses a level of energy into the Grizzlies organization, into the city that can be unmatched by any other player in this draft not named Zion Williamson. If you bring in R.J. Barrett, it's going to be like uh, taking the wins out of the sails. And he may turn out to be a better NBA player. But the Grizzlies, I think, have to swing for the fences with this one, and they got to go for John Moran. I agree. I agree 100%. Uh, any words on that, Evan? They better go with John Moran or they going to ride the form, I tell you that. So, <laughs> I mean, I, I agree with Justice. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and thank you, Mike. We're not kicking you out. No, no. Yeah, we actually leave in so many words. So yeah. It, 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 it is what it is, man. Uh, it, it, but it, what it does is it just officially ends grin and grind. And uh, I think it's time to move in a new direction anyway. I agree 100%. And I'm going to tell you something, you know, and I feel like not enough people are doing this. But as much as I love Mike and as much as I love Mark song, I have to put Zach and Tony a tier above Mike and Mark when it comes to the grit and grind era and importance. You know, yes. cause, Cause I get a little annoyed with all this. Oh, Mark is the best player ever. No, Mike isn't either. And they all had great moments together. Don't get me wrong. But it's Ta and it's Zebo. Those were the cornerstones. Without them, you don't have a grit grind movement. We had a bootleg. We had bootleg grit and grind for a couple of years with with Mike and Mark, and we saw where that got us. You know what I'm saying? It was something missing. You know, I'm going to say this. Go ahead. I'm going to say this, Josh. I don't mean to cut you off. I'm sorry. But you if you, if you want to look at, if you want to say Mark is the best player in Grizzly history, look at Mark averages pre-Zach Randolph. Look at Mark averages with Zach Randolph. Look at Mark averages post-Zach Randolph. Exactly. And I'll leave it at that. Zach was the best thing to happen to Mark. I think Mark knows it. I think that's why Mark didn't want him to leave. <laughs> in the first place. So, yeah, I think we all agree on that. Justice, uh, you feel it? Became a, a better rebounder post-Mark. Yeah. Uh, Zach, when when he was getting the minutes. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, when you look at it, you know, once he moved over to Toronto, he's not getting the same minutes, the same usage. So you're going to see less Mark. But, I, I mean, Zach was his, his backbone. You know, he was the guy when – you know, DeMarcus Cousins was talking. You know, he walked up on him, man, where I'm from, man. <laughs> bully get bullied. You know, Mark isn't going to say that to DeMarcus Cousins. In fact, no. DeMarcus Cousins, he's come on the floor off of injury, and he's playing like, you know, he. Uh, I think Zach would be getting in him right now. Yes, he would. You know, and, and I mean, Mark's got to make it a little bit tougher on him. Uh, you can't just let DeMarcus Cousins just come down and just do what he wants to. He's getting the rebound, pushing it up, running the fast break, dishing it, you know, on, on, with a bad quad. So, and the funny uh, thing is, to, to show Zebo's toughness, not just Zebo several years ago, I think Zebo right now would bully 
a, a 28, 29-year-old DeMarcus Cousins in the paint. I think he's still good. So, yeah. I agree 100%. But, yeah, man, uh, so we've covered a lot of ground on this podcast, you know, on this edition of the Deliberation Sports Podcast, man, and uh, I think that's going to do it for this edition. So we pretty definitely appreciate y'all for checking us out, man. We talked about the finals and the Mike Conley NBA draft, things of that nature. Going to be hitting y'all with another podcast soon, so y'all stay tuned. And by the way, just to let the people know where they can follow us to stay tuned. Well, you can follow us on Twitter, Deliberation SP1, Instagram, and Facebook, Deliberation Sports Podcast. We also have a Facebook group, Deliberation Sports Community. And to subscribe, they can do so via Apple Podcasts, Anchor Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, as well as uh, Pocket Caster, Podbean, anywhere that podcasts are hosted. Be sure to look forward to Deliberation Sports Podcast.